Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast, where we like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is Brandon Saxton. Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad. It's a it's a good Thursday. I was thinking something as I was walking into campus today, actually, unrelated to anything we're going to talk about today, but maybe semi-related. So it's Halloween week, mm-hmm. pretty much. I mean, technically it's next week, but it's basically this week. And uh, I was walking in, and I was really enjoying the uh, weather today in Fargo, which is very gloomy, mm-hmm. very fitting of Halloween. And what it reminded me of was our D&D campaign. It reminded me very much of a very typical Barovian day, mm-hmm. uh, a nice Barovian day, perhaps, with full <laughs> cloud cover and no sunshine to be seen. So yeah, the vampires would like it here. The vampires and Strahd, they're Right on campus, I'm sure of it. So. But no, it's a good Thursday, and it's Halloween week, so maybe we could start things off with uh, little current events. I know one or a couple of things that I saw, maybe the scariest thing that we'll talk about today, was uh, I saw two trailers, three trailers rather, for Marvel movies that I thought were really great. Uh, the first one was for Logan. Have you gotten a chance to check that out? Yeah, it looks it looks really intense. It does look really intense. Yeah, I'm really excited. So Wolverine is actually a pretty cool character, I think. And I say that uh, I say that with a, a grain of salt because it is a Marvel character. But the X Men are exempt from many of my criticisms of Marvel. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, Wolverine is a pretty cool character. The overall, I've liked most of the X-Men movies for the most part. I think they've been really fun and it. This one looks like it's definitely a change in tone and going to be a little bit darker based on the trailer. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited for that. And uh, I think next week Doctor Strange comes out and that looks like it's going to be really cool. Uh, I think maybe I already talked about the Doctor Strange trailer, but once again, it looks visually really stunning and, and awesome. And uh, last was the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 trailer. And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is probably my favorite of all of the Marvel movies. I liked that a lot, so I think the second movie should be pretty awesome. Lots yeah. of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, yep, and uh, right after we kind of get through these, we'll have Rogue One. So, I mean, there's going to be good well, movies for a best. while. <laughs> oh, yeah, I agree. So That's what I'm most looking forward to. I'm really excited for Rogue One, too, so it should be pretty fun. But uh, today I thought maybe, I think this was actually a listener-suggested topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, our good lo- good loyal boy, uh, Zach McGough, uh, a longtime listener, longtime fan, uh, suggested that maybe for the Halloween week we could talk about a little bit about fear or things that are kind of scary. And uh, so I think we're just going to kind of just go with it and just see what comes up. So when I was thinking about this, the first thing that came to mind for me was uh, the classic Batman villain, Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow. Do you know much about Scarecrow, Katie? No, I don't know a ton about Let Scarecrow. me tell you a little bit yeah. about Scarecrow. And, uh, and let me tell you a little bit about why he's actually my favorite supervillain, too. So, Scarecrow, Jonathan Crane, um, like a lot of um, villains, has a little bit of a mixed history, depending on the story that you're reading, of course. But uh, is either depicted as a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist, kind of like Harley Quinn. Those terms seem to be used a little bit interchangeably mm-hmm. in comics, which... No is, one knows the difference. No. Uh, so, in the, so that's fine. But at any rate... But if you, the listener, are interested in the difference, psychiatrists go to medical school and get MD degrees and... Um, are trained as physicians, whereas clinical psychologists tend to get PhDs or PsyDs and are not trained within medical school, but medical school, but are more trained within research kind of domains and 
more emphasis on psychotherapy. Yeah, that that was a very uh, succinct definition of those. I surprise you. Usually my definitions are not that <laughs> succinct. <laughs> that, that was very nicely said. Uh, Jonathan Crane could be either of those, depending on what story you're reading. <laughs> so, but what I think is really interesting about him is uh, he's interested in the concept of fear, both as a rece- uh, researcher and a clinician. So he treats individuals who maybe have specific phobias. Um, maybe the listeners are wondering what specific phobias are. Spoiler, we're going to get to that. <laughs> uh, but, so he researches uh, fear and phobias and just kind of everything that goes into that. And, and there's a lot of loaded terms there. There's really differences between fear and anxiety and phobias. And I think it would be worthwhile to maybe flesh that out loud for folks because I think often like psychiatrists and psychologists, a lot of those terms are also used fairly interchangeably. Side um, note real quick. Mm-hmm, the please. other thing I noticed is that while we're recording, we often worry about spoilers about what's ahead but our title of our episode gives it away, so yeah. we don't have to worry that much. That's true. <laughs> and, it, and it, I mean, these aren't like blockbuster hits where people are really <laughs> worried about hearing the spoilers that they're about to hear us talk about in like no. eight minutes from now. Not so. a ton of suspense. <sighs> Not yet. We need to have more dramatic flair perhaps in our we'll work recording on it. and make this really more of a production. Okay. We'll get there. Uh, speaking of which, Christopher Nolan... If you're interested in directing our podcast, (laughs) we're available. Uh, You know where to reach us. So anyway, Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow, uh, researches fear and primarily interested in fear as a clinician and as a researcher, uh, really in both domains. And I believe he actually had a professorship, a professorial position at Gotham University. Never trust Um, a professor. Never trust. I mean, that's just good life advice mm-hmm. in my opinion <laughs> uh, especially a professor who is also a super villain so I mean <laughs> if you have any super villainous plans Katie uh, I mean we've got our eye on you you know. wouldn't know so, no that's true <laughs> so uh, and in that position he he kind of uh, I don't how does the story really go he becomes almost obsessive really about fear and uh, in his attempt to study it he wants to learn, uh, you know, what what are people most afraid of and how do those deepest, most uh, primal or instinctual fears affect people. And um, the fear is actually something that I've done some research on myself. And uh, Jonathan Crane and I have really different uh, induction methods for fear. So maybe just folks who might be a little bit interested in the research method side of things. Uh, the work that I've done on emotions has involved a couple of different mood inductions or mood manipulation techniques. So primarily the technique that I've used most often is a, sort of a continuous mood induction that happens regularly kind of trial by trial where I'm showing individuals images that are from a database where these images have all been selected and rated on various uh, affective domains. So they're all images designed to invoke a specific emotion, and I just show them repeatedly and do uh, sort of a, a manipulation check to make sure that they're in the emotional state that I'm hoping to have. Can you give us some examples of some of the pictures that would evoke fear, for example? Maybe you were getting to that. No, I I actually wasn't, so thank you for asking. No, it's a great question. Um, So just, they're actually all, like, super copyright protected, and I used to put them on my posters, and then I found out that was super illegal. Uh Uh-oh. So, uh, broadly speaking... Okay. (laughs) uh, They're actually, they vary quite a bit, so... Um, one of them is uh, a sort of, it has a man running with uh, what presumably is a dead child in his arms, oh running away from gunmen. Um, there are some that have uh, 
snakes or things like that that are a, a lot of people seem to have fears of. Mm-hmm. There are some where there's one with a man holding uh, a gun to a woman's head or a gun pointing at kind of the perspective of the viewer of the picture. There's some with knives. A lot of things uh, kind of related to violence or or more primal or instinctual fears like uh, related to snakes or spiders or things like that too, mm-hmm. which are a little bit more, uh, I think, specific to individual by individual, whereas some of the more ones that might be related to violence are a little broader. There's one, I think, of a crashed airplane, things like that. Yeah. Have you heard of the evolutionary preparedness theory? I actually haven't, but I'd love to hear about it. It's it's interesting. It's just kind of talks about why people are more susceptible to have phobias to things like snakes and mm-hmm. spiders versus things like flowers or houses oh, sure. or even guns or power lines. Mm-hmm. People might be afraid of them, but phobias, as we'll talk mm-hmm. about in a little bit, seem to be less likely. And the suggestion question has been that through evolution, it takes a long time to have these fear associations, but things like spiders and snakes have been around for such a long time that you can more easily condition people in the laboratory to be afraid of snakes and spiders, and that's more naturally occurring versus things like, I said, power lines or guns. So it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be about dangerousness. It just seems to be about evolution and what's been around and, and mm-hmm. kind of what our bodies are set up to fear because there's some adaptive element, not when it gets to the point of a phobia, but it is adaptive for us to stay away from spiders and snakes and things like that. And so it's kind of an interesting explanation for that. It is, and it's something that I'm actually fairly interested in, too, as a researcher. Phobias and, like, I often wonder, because all of my research has been just kind of broadly taking uh, general college student population in and doing these emotion inductions, but I often find myself wondering if there might be a different effect specifically so to kind of set the context what I've done traditionally is uh, look at the way that emotions influence attentional processing and I wonder if there might be something different between taking a sort of general college population and inducing fear and see how that influences attention as opposed to maybe finding a group of people who do have a specific snake phobia mm-hmm. and showing them images of snakes to see how that influences attention I, I often wonder if there's something different about those sort of just fear or anxiety processing in uh, a response to a specific phobia. I bet um, you'd find some differences in intensity, yeah. and I, I think that's so interesting. Another one that just came to mind is heights, that that mm-hmm. is another common fear, and again, um, from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense that if we're high up, we would be afraid such that we keep ourselves safe. So Absolutely. Um, we're getting a little off track, and that's okay. That's uh, That's kind of our our style. We're psychology nerds primarily, psychology. even though we like the, the other stuff too. <laughs> uh, thinking about yeah, that, that's actually really true. Thinking about fear, um, I have an, an incredible uh, fear of snakes hmm. that uh, stems from when I was a very young uh, little lad and uh, probably maybe about three or four, I'm guessing, and uh, a, a very large gardener snake actually like coiled itself around my oh leg my in the yard. So ever since then, I I mean, I, it's not like uh, I don't experience any sort of panic or anything, but very uncomfortable around snakes and don't really care to touch them. Understandably. Um, yeah. yeah, I my um, kind of subclinical phobia yeah. has to do with blood, which is another oh, common sure. one, seeing mm-hmm. blood. I had an incident where I had blunt drawn and I fainted, and mm-hmm. actually that's happened a couple times, and that's a, it's interesting because that phobia has, for most phobias, like snake, for example, mm-hmm. the adrenaline is, pup, you have, is mm-hmm. pumped up, you have higher blood pressure, your heart rate increases, but with um, blood phobias, you often have what I experience, which is the blood pressure drop, and the idea okay. is that it 
it's your body reacting to stop the bleeding. Sure, that makes a lot of but sense. But it is unpleasant to faint. Oh, yeah. So I've never I, done it, but I can imagine. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And one time after I had blood taken, I was in the elevator, actually, and I probably told you this before, but the elevator doors opened, and I fainted and fell right out onto the urgent care unit in um, the student health center, and that was unpleasant. I, that sounds wildly <laughs> unpleasant. Yeah. But I, um, in grad school, I had a lot of clinical psychologist friends who made me face my phobia, oh, so I'm, I'm a little bit better now. Actually, much better. I'm very happy that... I don't think I've told many of my colleagues. Or That's where I went wrong. Snakes. I have yeah. this thing where I just tell people stuff and mm. it, it see, goes horribly wrong. I share little to nothing. That's, <laughs> That's, my, best. That's my superpower. It, it's safer that way. Um, going back to my snake mm-hmm. story, um, my dog pulled the snake off my leg. Though, oh. so, and now I have a very strong love of dogs oh. and a, a hatred for snakes, all oh. based on an early childhood experience. How very psychodynamic. It is. And and also um, very, so a lot of phobias start can start through classical conditioning, mm-hmm. which is yes. you have, um, listeners are probably familiar with Pavlov's dog yeah. and, and the conditioning of they the dogs are given the food with the bell, and every time they associate the bell with the food, such to the point that even when the food isn't there, they start to salivate just from hearing the bell. Mm-hmm. And some phobias start that way. Mm-hmm. Some, we're not sure how they start, um, but... Some of them start with experiences like Brandon just described. Others seem to kind of come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of interesting that it could be looked at as a psychodynamic early experience or mm-hmm. as a classical conditioning mm-hmm. early on, kind of different ways yeah. to look at it. I think I certainly conceptualize it more of a behavior perspective with the classical conditioning. Uh, so the psychodynamic thing is mostly a reference to being a young child. But it is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Freud did talk about, well... If we got into his psychodynamic perspectives, you can imagine what he related most of his yeah. stuff to. He treated that little Hans, was it, with the yep. horse phobia or mm-hmm. something like that? Mm-hmm. And he had some interesting ideas about it being related to something to do with his parents. It mm. wasn't a very behavioral no. type approach. And it's always just made more sense. Maybe it's my training or just the way I think about the world. But behavioral explanations just always make sense to me. They're mm-hmm. very practical in, in nature, I think. So it, it always clicks easier for me. It's also just more testable than yeah. than kind of the underlying stuff. And the interesting part that I always find with phobias is that they tend to, they seem to sometimes start with classical conditioning, but they're maintained by operant conditioning mm-hmm where people see the thing that they're afraid of, they see the snake or they're getting their blood drawn or whatever it is, and they get anxious and then leave the situation, Mm -hmm. and then it's reinforcing to Mm -hmm. avoid it, and that maintains and strengthens it. And so treatment is about breaking that maintenance, but jumping a little ahead. Very interesting stuff, though, anxiety is in general, just Mm -hmm. broadly speaking about all of these things that are sort of related to the experience of anxiety. So that's a long explanation of how I induce emotion in my lab with a little tangent on the side. With my interruptions. That's okay. No. uh, So the way that Jonathan Crane, Dr. Crane, the scarecrow induced emotions was a little different. What he did was develop a fear toxin that uh, really just activated the fear centers of the brain and makes the person experience firsthand what their greatest fear is. Um, Unethical. Yeah, I'd say so. I, unethical. I know mm-hmm. uh, institutional review boards who monitor human-based research, uh, they like to make sure that, that your research falls within the ethics and you're not, uh, that, that the gains from your research are at least equal to the risk for harm. Yeah. I think that's a simple way to put yeah. it. 
I'm wondering how he got that by his IRB boards. I'm guessing he didn't. Yeah. He is a supervillain. That is true. I think so. So that um, he's not a good professional model as either a mental health professional or no. a professor. Most nope. professors are not evil. I wanted to be clear. If, following up what uh, I said before. I'm wondering if Dr. Crane was on Rate My Professor, he would be rated lowly, is my guess, as a supervillain. Uh, yeah, I, I would think so, unless you're real into evil stuff, which some people seem to be. That is a good point. At any rate, that's Jonathan Crane, fear. Maybe it would be worth talking a little bit about fear and anxiety from a very psychological perspective because anxiety disorders and anxiety is a very prevalent thing, and I think I already said this a little bit, but these are fairly loaded terms, perhaps, Mm -hmm. that are used very interchangeably. So maybe a very simple jumping-off point is maybe just to distinguish the difference between fear and anxiety, which maybe is obvious to some people, but maybe less so to others, but just so we have our ducks all in a row. That sounds good. Can I also add one other thing, just in the spirit of Halloween? Um, So that's a... Did I set the context for this, that we're talking about this because it's Halloween? I don't know. I think we might have. I think we did. I'm not sure. I can't can't remember We're so in the moment that we're not thinking to the past please do. Um, One thing that I wanted to talk about is for Halloween, people purposely have themselves afraid. They Mm -hmm. like watching scary movies, going to haunted houses, things like that. Some people love it more than others. And um, that is different than fear and anxiety, which we'll talk about. Oh, that's a really great point, yeah. You know, those types of things, I think that they're within limits because people know they're not real and so it's really just thrilling to be on a roller coaster and it's and it's fun and it's fun to be at a haunted house because you know that nothing bad's really going to happen but i'm guessing that people like it because of some of the adrenaline rush and Mm -hmm. the mystery and and that type of stuff for people who really get into that Mm -hmm. and there are some people who might especially like it who are high on personality trait called sensation seeking which are people who just specifically seek out those kind of thrilling experiences like stuff like bungee jumping, skydiving, Mm -hmm. and to a lesser extent, going to your local haunted maze or whatever it is. Um, So that's that's the Halloween stuff, and what we're going to talk about is different than that. I think all that stuff is based on the premise that people know it's not real, and that's why they can enjoy it so Mm -hmm. much. But I'm not sure. I'm not a huge horror movie fan, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I'm actually not either. I I very much prefer comedy movies for very much the opposite reason. Or the reason I don't like horror is because I don't enjoy being uncomfortable. Yeah. And I I think that... raises another interesting mm-hmm. point about just the subjectivity of it, really. Right. Um, even in some of the research where I've tried to elicit um, sort of a sensation, thrill-seeking sort of feeling, or maybe excitement is the most simplest way to define mm-hmm. that, uh, which has used images related to bungee jumping, skydiving, uh, stunt plane flying. Not everyone actually likes those pictures. Uh, that makes some people really uncomfortable. And uh, it's kind of interesting just to think about the sort of the different dimensions of emotions and where do they map on and where do they map on for different people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, like you said, too, it is important maybe to distinguish the differences between um, thrill-seeking and, and feeling... Uh, feeling a little like a rush of adrenaline and a clinical disorder that's very distressing and, and not pleasant for people. I, I don't want to make it seem like we're making light of anxiety. No, perhaps. right. They, yeah, they have uh, different elements to them. And, and it's interesting that you said that people respond differently. There is evidence that that sensation-seeking personality trait has a lot of genetic loading. So oh, it does seem that there are some people who are just more likely to feel excited by those types of things, whereas other people... 
it's uncomfortable or yeah. neutral or whatever it is. I know and for me personally, I I really don't have a lot of desire for haunted mazes or anything yeah. like that. I went to a haunted house once that it was pretty cool, but it was kind of like puzzle based where you had to try to like figure out how to get through it. And the sort of puzzle element and the mystery overwhelmed my lack of interest in the jump scares and stuff. But really, that's about the extent of my interest in that sort yeah. of genre as a whole, I guess. I like roller coasters, but mm-hmm. I'm more of the fear sort of stuff. I, The people jumping out at me. I don't know. It seems like a cheap scare, and, and mm-hmm. I never feel good about, like, someone got me with that. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I think some of this... I don't startle a lot to mm. those things either, so it's not as much of an effect on me, mm. you know? And even watching horror movies, I don't... I guess I don't get so wrapped up in them, which I do in a lot of stories and mm. movies and comics and things like that. But with those, I just keep thinking, this doesn't seem real. You know, I like more... Jessica Jones is kind of a thrilling story yeah. because it's a mystery unraveling, but when it comes to more supernatural stuff, it's not... For me, as much, I don't find it as compelling as a lot of people do. It's just not my favorite genre. Yeah, that's really interesting. The subjectivity and then Mm -hmm. the differing interests is really... And how emotions maybe relate to that. It's all a really interesting and complex sort of um, multi-directional relationship, I think. I think that's why fear toxins are helpful because it probably individualizes to each person and you don't have to figure out all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly something to be said about that. Uh, it's universal. It's an efficient way of really getting to the root of people's fear. Of course, efficiency isn't always the most important thing. And but not in this sometimes, case. I guess. But to be clear, I am not advocating <laughs> any of the scarecrows methods. So. Nope, but certainly an interesting and one of my favorite. Oh, so the reason that he was my favorite comic book mm-hmm. superhero, and I think I hinted that I was going to say that, was because he was a psychologist who studies fear, and ultimately that's a direction I'm working towards, is to be a psychologist who studies fear among other things. Cool. Kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. You don't always get a map on to comic book characters so well, so I had to I had to pick a role model and it was Dr. Crane. Well, I guess. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I might pick Batgirl's therapist, but you can pick whoever yeah. you want. We all, we all it's, again, individual yep. differences Absolutely. and preferences. So. Okay. Fear versus anxiety, maybe very uh, defined simply, perhaps. Yes. And, and, and we can add to this definition if we see fit. But fear is a, uh, a physiological and psychological response to a specific stimuli that's in your environment, typically. That... Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. present-oriented, yeah. and so the kind of, uh, there's a lion in the room and you're afraid yeah. of it. It might not be a lion in this case, but there's something in the room that's threatening, or there's someone who is threatening to hurt you, and you have that response. That is fear. Yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, anxiety is a little bit more future-oriented. There might not be a specific thing that you're responding to. It could be an upcoming event or uh, something that you have to face, but it very well could also just be a general feeling of Mm -hmm. uncertainty or you don't know why you're feeling anxious. Maybe you just are. It's not always clear to people why they're anxious. Sometimes you can help them figure out, but sometimes there's not a specific um, event or person or anything that's triggering the anxiety. Yeah, that's true. I think some common things that people do get anxious about are things like uh, finances, health, interpersonal relationships, Mm -hmm. their future, and things like that. So it does have that future responsibility. Like you said, it's not necessarily something that's present. It's really, it's projecting ahead to thinking about what negative outcomes can happen. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think it's worth maybe uh, just briefly saying what are the different anxiety disorders that are in the Diagnostic Statistical Manual 5, DSM-5, mm-hmm. as we've talked about? Or sure. Am I jumping ahead too far? Oh, no. Okay. That's good. Okay, so we've got specific phobias, of course, which we've already talked a little bit about. Um, and I don't know, what's the best way to organize this? Just but, to Should we just say them all starting out or go into each one one by one? Or what do you think? Why don't we... We could do one by one okay. and see how that works. Okay, that sounds good. So a specific phobia, um, I think most people are fairly familiar with the concept. I don't know a lot more to add to maybe add to people's understanding, but it's typically a very strong um, anxiety, fear response uh, towards us, something specific. In mm-hmm. Typically, some uh, physical stimulus that they might encounter. I guess height isn't really a stimuli. Well, it it's a situational stimuli, yeah. so they... Um, so the thing about anxiety disorders is that it's characterized by having an exaggerated reaction to something specific. So in the case of phobias, like you, like Brandon just said, it's it can be a specific situation. It can be an animal. It can be um, storms, being in an elevator. So it's kind of can be, it's but it's usually called specific phobia because mm-hmm. it's one particular thing where you consistently get that reaction. Sure. So I think that's simply put, I mm-hmm. think, yeah. Uh, another one is social anxiety disorder, and I think this is probably another one that's fairly self-explanatory. People maybe are familiar with. Um, did, well, what would you say social anxiety disorder? So this can present in a couple of different ways. I uh, Maybe not really, I guess. I mean, really just uh, anxiety about maybe being around people, maybe talking in front of people. It's just sort of that sort of uh, social... Um, I don't want to use judgment. That's not the right word. Well, a negative evaluation. Yeah, negative evaluation. That's really what it is, that it can be afraid of interacting with people Mm -hmm. or giving speeches, which is really common, Mm -hmm. that one. Um, And the idea is the the fear, again, this is anxiety kind of projecting to the future and thinking ahead. Um, The anxiety is about people thinking that you're doing a bad job or not liking you or, or that type of thing. Yeah. Another one is uh, panic disorder, Mm -hmm. and I think there's a little bit of a misconception among some people I've heard about panic disorder. So not only does it involve or consist of panic attacks, which are very, uh, maybe I think everyone maybe has an idea of what a panic attack is, but simply put, a very sudden onset experience of physical and and psychological symptoms of anxiety, um, sometimes in response to a specific event or stressor. Mm -hmm. But sometimes just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And also the experience of anxiety about experiencing another panic attack. So maybe avoiding things like driving or not wanting to go to work because you're worried you'll have a panic attack in that environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the feared stimulus in this one is actually a panic attack. Yeah. And that's the thing that people are trying to avoid, exactly mm-hmm. like you said. And those are really scary because people think often that they're having a heart attack or they're losing their mind or something yeah. like that. So it's really scary. And the last one, which is maybe sometimes the hardest one to define um, in a clinical setting in some ways because it's a lot less specific, is just a generalized anxiety disorder, which is just uh, kind of uh, a general feeling of anxiety that maybe is in response to certain things, but it's across environments and across situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you tend to see uh, just multiple domains where the person is persistently worried about things and, and to the point where it's causing 
physical effects, lots of tension and things mm-hmm. like that. And so uh, those are the, the anxiety disorders. And, and a lot of the things that we talked about, you might say I relate to some of that because most people have some anxiety about giving mm-hmm. speeches. Most people, if they've had a panic attack, they find that unpleasant. And we all worry from time to time. Oh, yeah. But there are some things that make something an anxiety disorder versus kind of fear and anxiety, which we all experience at some points in our life. And and the big thing is that the anxiety is out of proportion to what the danger truly Mm -hmm. is. And so, for example, um, Brandon mentioned snakes. If you see a snake on TV, some people with snake phobias have a phobic reaction, even though there's no threat to it being on TV. Mm -hmm. So that would be out of proportion with the danger truly faced, for example. Um, That the fear response exists even when the stimulus isn't present, that would be another example. And the key to all of these mental disorders we talk about is that they cause severe distress or impairment. And so that means that if someone's kind of shy about interacting with people and they're worried what people think, but it doesn't hold them back in any way from forming meaningful relationships and they aren't too bothered by it, then it wouldn't be considered a mental disorder. It might just be that they're a little bit shy. Yeah. And maybe jumping ahead a little bit, so we've kind of covered what is an anxiety disorder. What are the different types um, and what what makes an anxiety disorder unique to the, just the experience of anxiety? Maybe it would be worth discussing what some of the symptoms are, what that experience is like for individuals. Sure, that sounds good. There, um, I think about anxiety symptoms in four domains, and again, a lot of these are things that we all experience. It's just all about the degree to which you experience them. And they're um, somatic, which has to do with your body, emotional, cognitive, and behavioral. And so somatic has a lot to do with things like breathing faster, having tense muscles, um, ad- adrenaline secretion, kind of that, that response mm-hmm. that we talked about. I've heard of, maybe to mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about somatic, mm-hmm. I've heard of individuals sometimes uh, having a panic attack maybe triggered by, you know, maybe walking up a few flights of stairs. So your heart rate is naturally probably going to be a little elevated, but that can make people think, well, is this a panic attack coming on? And then that can trigger a panic attack. So it's interesting how there's sort of a, a misattribution of this arousal or, or just how powerful those physical symptoms or somatic symptoms, even if unrelated to any anxiety or any specific trigger, can induce anxiety. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And there seems to be this vulnerability that varies in between people, anxiety sensitivity, Mm -hmm. where people are more prone to have those attributions. So people who are more prone to say, my heart's beating really fast, I'm going to have a panic attack versus, oh, I just walked up the stairs. Mm -hmm. There seems to be some individual differences in that too, which is helpful to know in terms of prevention and treatment. Yeah, absolutely. So next is uh, some of the emotional symptoms. So this can include a a few different things. So there's, uh, and we're kind of reiterating this point, but this is likely something that we've, feelings that we've all felt, but it is, it has to do with that severity uh, and the impairment and also the distress that you experience from from feeling these things but you know sense of dread uh, feelings of terror um, sometimes individuals with anxiety are really restless you know pacing not able to really calm down you know in kind of in a highly aroused state and uh, just general irritability which is um, kind of can lead to lashing out at others and can create some of that interpersonal impairment. So. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. If you're on edge about things, then it makes sense that sometimes it manifests as irritability. The sense of dread part probably reflects most of what I hear clients who have treated with anxiety mm-hmm. disorders talk about, and that's 
really gets at some of the painful parts of anxiety disorders, that just dreading kind of typical everyday interactions because of whatever they're mm -hmm. afraid of. Or if I can jump mm -hmm. onto that, everyday interactions, but also sometimes um, things that might be a, a little less everyday. I remember a client who had this really in, like pretty severe anxiety that a train was going to hit her mm. house but her house wasn't really located near train tracks mm. uh, or, so it, sometimes it's things like that too that are maybe a little less um objectively rational so it, it oh, is interesting yeah. the degree or maybe rather the variety uh of things in which people can experience anxiety related to so no it's true we talked about how some are more common like mm -hmm. snakes and spiders but then there are i have heard of someone who had um a phobia of a particular color or people mm -hmm. have had a phobia of a particular fruit and they it's confusing because they can't neatly trace it back to some classical yeah. conditioning moment and they often know that it's irrational mm -hmm. but it it doesn't matter unfortunately we know how to treat it even if we don't know what caused it for that particular individual yeah. but you're right some of them are um, even harder to kind of logically trace mm -hmm. back than others um, cognitive symptoms, so that's kind of related to some of the research that I've done a little bit mm -hmm. in looking at how anxiety or maybe fear influences cognition, and there's a lot of interesting ways that anxiety influences the way we think about, or how we think, or how we remember things. So that's kind of a, a very general definition of cognition, but um, there's sometimes, uh, there's problems with concentration. Uh, if you're really anxious about something, it can sometimes interrupt some of that top-down processing and makes it hard to really focus on things that are going on around you. Uh, you might be hypervigilant. That could be related to the irritability. You could be really jumpy. You could startle more easily. Uh, you might be worry a lot about the things that might happen and, and maybe ruminate on those sort of uh, potential events or things that you might have to deal with uh, at some point. Uh, there's fear of losing control, um, just a, a variety of different things kind of related to those. So all really unpleasant uh, ways to feel like you're thinking about the world. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. Very uncomfortable, but fortunately very treatable, among yeah. the most treatable mental disorders that there are. Uh, so I think maybe quickly we can talk about the last domain, the behavioral mm -hmm. symptoms, and then I think it would be interesting to talk uh, briefly about I was about jumping treatment. ahead. I'm, I'm okay. eager in case anyone was concerned that we didn't have good treatment. I don't just want, oh. want to let you know we're getting to it. We're we got good treatment. It's one of the, now I'm jumping in too, but it's one of the things we're best at treating yes. in, in many ways. So mm -hmm. uh, the last is behavioral symptoms. And, and these are uh, these are some of the trickiest things because in my rudimentary way of thinking about anxiety, the behavioral symptoms, particularly the avoidance, are what sometimes can make the treatment tricky, is that who wants to face the thing that's making them anxious? And in no way, one is no the one. answer. That, that is the answer. That is, that's the little obstacle in the treatment. Yeah. They're effective, but you have to do something that is the opposite of what yes. you want to do. So there is that avoidance uh, escape. Sometimes you just freeze up, or sometimes you respond in a, an aggressive way to the thing that's uh, provoking your anxiety. So mm -hmm. maybe now, as per our uh, hints, we could talk a little bit about the treatments and, and maybe the general ways that we treat anxiety. Can I tell you another please. very brief please, example please. of a behavioral symptom? My sisters and I don't like frogs. When we, okay. Where we grew up, there are a lot of frogs. And so my sister and I, not too many years ago, were walking and on the sidewalk, and a frog jumped in front of us. And there's no danger from this frog, mm -hmm. but... Because we have this kind of established, it's not a phobia level, mm -hmm. but dislike kind of, of frogs, 
we actually ran into the road to get away from the frog, and so that would be an example of a maladaptive mm-hmm. response. It's clearly much more dangerous to be in the road than to be on the sidewalk, but it kind of, just to be open about my own irrational response mm-hmm. to that frog, I do like Kermit, for the record. Sometimes oh, people get concerned. I was. Okay, so <laughs> I could tell. You, I'm happy that you pointed that <laughs> out. Especially that Kermit the Frog meme that everyone has with him drinking tea. Have you seen that? People, I have. And people would have been posting that on our Twitter and Facebook for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I have no fear reaction to that. Oh, perfect. For the record. (laughs) So no need to worry. You can come on anytime. Join the Jedi Council podcast. Uh, Okay. So we've talked a little bit about the specific disorders, a little bit about the specific symptoms. Uh, Let's talk about treatment. How how in the world do we treat anxiety? Uh, Well, we talked about how operant conditioning is one of the ways that it's maintained, meaning that basically people have anxiety, then they escape the thing they're afraid of. So if someone's afraid of giving a, um, a public speech or something like that, and they get really, really anxious, and then last minute they th- say they're sick and they can't do it, mm-hmm. then the anxiety decreases and that reinforces the behavior of avoiding it. And so essentially what we do to treat anxiety disorders of all the types that we had or have people face the stimuli, break that avoidance cycle. And what happens is at first they experience that that intense Mm -hmm. anxiety, but rather than saying, okay, now you can escape it, they sit with it. And eventually your body habituates and calms down through repeated exposures. Mm -hmm. And so there are a couple different ways to do this. You can do this through building up to it. So if someone's afraid of heights, you could start by a stepladder and then slowly going up to a first floor balcony Mm -hmm. and that would be kind of a systematic desensitization way where you have these these baby steps i guess um and then there's another approach which is flooding Mm -hmm. which is say let's go right to the top of the empire state building in one session and that tends to be very effective but people don't want to do it no i mean I could see how someone would hate you for that. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty hard. And this is why the relationship with the therapist is really important because a therapist is kind of like a cheerleader and kind mm-hmm. of, um, you know, telling them, establishing boundaries so that the person doesn't get pushed out of something that's going to backfire. Mm-hmm. The whole point is to have an experience where they face what they fear, see nothing bad happens, mm-hmm. and then the phobia goes away. Not that they face what they fear, something horrible happens, and they're much worse. Mm-hmm. That's That would be the opposite of what you want. That would just reinforce that anxiety big time. Yeah, so, you know, it's very strategic and collaborative mm-hmm. with clients, and it's important to approach it that way. Some other things that therapists will do to help with that is engage in whatever it is, too. So if someone is afraid of germs or something like that, which is more linked to obsessive-compulsive disorder, which we should probably have another episode on. Mm -hmm. We always do that. But um, say that. um, And often what happens is the client's not just expected to stick their hands in dirt or on the subway or in a garbage can to be exposed to germs. The therapist does it along with Mm -hmm. them. And so that's one way that can be encouraging to them. So I think what's important, too, to, I I mean, you said this, but I think what's interesting and sometimes challenging about this sort of treatment is that you you can't let them really quit or escape it because that's exactly what they've always done. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what has helped to facilitate and maintain the anxiety. So it can be uncomfortable as a therapist to um, continually encourage someone to, no, let's stick with this. I know how uncomfortable you're feeling. Um, 
It's interesting, I think. It is, especially with panic disorder, because, as you know, we're actually, you induce panic attacks, mm -hmm. because panic attacks are unpleasant, but they're actually, they're not physically harmful, mm -hmm. and so you have people come in, spin around in their chair, or breathe in hyperventilate yeah. through a paper bag and induce that, because, um, you know, like most things, if you're... If you're watching a scary movie, for example, and there's some scene, the first time that it happens, someone jumps out of nowhere, you tend to have a big fear response. But if you rewind that and watch that scene 20 times, it's probably not going to scare you the yeah. 20th time. And that's kind of how phobias work. Yeah, so, well, that might be a good spot to wrap it up for this week. But uh, maybe before we do, we can wrap it up with our famous Crows of Wisdom of Brandon segment. Uh, as always, just a couple of little take-home points for you this week. Take-home pearls, rather. As you're celebrating Halloween this weekend, maybe just keep in mind a, a little bit about uh, the experience of fear and uh, and why it's fun for some people and maybe why it's not as fun for other people. So if someone doesn't want to go along to the haunted hayride, maybe <laughs> let them off the hook this year. If uh, Brandon or I yeah. make up an excuse to not go to <laughs> yeah. that haunted hayride. Make up an excuse. It's, it's just not fun. It's just not that fun. <laughs> And, and you don't, if you don't want to go, don't feel bad for skipping it. <laughs> and uh, maybe instead of wanting to go to a haunted hayride, you could convince your friends to um, hang, around, uh, hang around the place, and you could dazzle them with your very in-depth knowledge of anxiety disorders That's this right. year. So let's try a different Halloween tradition. There you go, folks. Oh, and also maybe, maybe face your fears a little bit, too. Well, that's very much the opposite of what I just said. Don't face your Halloween fears, but face your everyday fears. Well, the first thing is, like, if you're not really afraid of the haunted house thing, yeah. then it's not fun. It's just versus, not fun. Yeah, exactly. So right. if stuff's not fun, don't, don't, maybe don't pressure don't feel people obligated. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> However, if you are afraid of something and it's, and it's holding you back in some yes. way. So, for example, public speaking, mm -hmm. again, That's something that we all struggle with. But most of us benefit from getting good at that. Challenge Absolutely. yourself a little bit, and and you'll be surprised at how how quickly you can habituate to these things. Absolutely. For example, Brandon and I both, when we started this podcast for the first several episodes, got anxious before Very we were talking, yeah. and now it is just pure fun because pure, we have habituated. One hundred percent fun. We enjoy it a lot. That's the thing to remember is. Katie and I, we're your best friends. We don't want you to be held back in life by your fears, so it's time to face them and uh, reach your full potential. I know, like you said, I think everyone is a little afraid of public speaking, oh, yeah. at least before they've done it a lot. Unless like someone's totally arrogant and narcissistic, mm -hmm. and they're like, mm -hmm. they are so blessed to have me speak yeah. now. And there I, are people like that. Oh, absolutely. But not most people, no. hopefully. I remember I used to be really uncomfortable with public speaking, uh... And then I had a class where there was an opportunity to speak in front of the class every week, just a really short mm -hmm. five-minute blurb about the article of the week, and I volunteered every single week. I didn't, like, say, no, I'm talking and cut off other people, but typically no one wanted <laughs> like, to... Like, this is about this me, is, This is my time. Uh, <laughs> typically no one wanted to volunteer anyway, so I always just said, you know, sure, I'll be happy to. And uh, and that even just that little tiny thing that helped tremendously. So. It pays off. That's the thing that is really reinforcing mm -hmm. is that you can quickly see how much more comfortable you get. And if it's to the point where you feel you can't do that and it's negatively affecting you, seek treatment because th there is very good treatment available for anxiety disorders. Very effective Reach and not long term. Or, no, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of it is pretty quick. Depending, it varies on the disorder absolutely. and the presentation, mm -hmm. but there are people who have. 
good responses to phobia treatments within a session or two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of the generalized anxiety disorder tends to take a little, a little bit longer, but there are effective treatments for that as well. Absolutely. So just to send that point home again, we care. So face those fears and, and just do your best. That's all mm-hmm. you can do. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening in. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on our own website, www.jedi-counselcounsel.com. And uh, you used to be able to find us on <laughs> iTunes. We're, we're, uh, we'll be back we're, soon, we'll I be, promise. We'll be back on <laughs> iTunes soon. Uh, you can look for us again on there. Um, there was an error. There that, was an error that I didn't understand. I may have I overreacted, <laughs> and so I have been in frequent contact with Podbean and yeah. iTunes. I think that they're sick of me emailing them, but that's how important it is that's for me important. to get this show we back need, up on iTunes. We need the content out there for you. So when we do get back on yes, iTunes... which will hopefully be within 48 hours. That would be great. That's my goal. Uh, if you've got a free minute, uh, send just hit that subscribe button and, and leave us a review. We read them all. We really appreciate them. And uh, you can also find us on Podbean and Stitcher. And uh, oh, also a new blog post coming up in yep. a few days too, so that's mm-hmm. going to be great. So you look out for that. Yeah, better. Get, <laughs> I, I better get going. I've written nothing yet. I, so. I, me neither. So, it's, but it's going to be good. We promise mm. you that. And um, yeah, I think that's all. We, oh, I had one last thing I was going to say, but I don't remember what it was. I'll save it for next week. Okay. Uh, thanks very much. Have a great Halloween, and yes, we'll happy see Halloween. you next week.